All right. Amen. So I would think about a uh, let's think about a prospective member of our church family, maybe somebody that has been here a little while and maybe they signed up to go through growth track and they're very excited to join the church. And it's the kind of person that when the doors are open, they're here. They're here on every Sunday morning. They're here on Wednesday nights. If we have an event, marriage night, they're there. Men's meeting, women's meetings, they're making it. They're excited. They want to be involved. They want to go on mission trips. They pay their tithes. They have a passion for the Lord. They're singing loud on Sunday mornings, waving their hands in praise to the Lord. They are, uh, started their Bible reading plan and memorizing verses of Scripture. They never drink. They never cuss. A family-oriented, uh, a patriot cries when the flag passes by. You know, uh, they always vote right. Because they're right. And they're admired. And you look up to those kind of people and you see them every day and you say, surely if anybody is going to heaven, that person has earned a ticket to go to heaven. A model citizen. And that person just very well may be what we're going to read about tonight. And that's a 21st century Pharisee. Because a Pharisee in Jesus' day was a lot like the person that I'm just described. A model citizen. A person like of upright morals and standards and respected by everyone in their community. That was the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Uh, I want to set the stage first by going to Romans chapter 2. 10 and verse 2 and Paul's or I think I might have asked for verse 1 up there uh, Paul's talking about his people the Jews and he says to the Romans he says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge so there's a lot of people, they do have a zeal for God, a passion for God. Then you know it's possible for us to have a passion for God and you to, to know and to witness someone that has a passion for God and yet not even know God. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He says, I have, I bear them record. They have a zeal. That means like they're on fire. You know, it's like, who is it? I don't know. I don't know all these songs, but somebody says, this girl is on fire. Well, that was, that was, that was, that's what Paul was talking about. They were on fire. Yet, to not know God, it's possible to be deceived to be captured and to be enslaved by a deadly trap out there that's called legalism. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And legalism, I mean, what would y'all say is legalism? I don't, I didn't really look it up, but maybe somebody can Google it. 
What's legalism? Let's, we can probably come up with some ideas. Help me out. Theolo- theologians. Rules. Rules. A system of rules. Behavior modification. Man, you're talking to a psychology major, so you're talking my language. That's what a belt does. Behavior modification. True? Behavior modification. <laughs> Legalism. Anybody? Come on. Somebody help me out. Pastor Matt, what's legalism? Requiring me to see more than what God's word says to do. Requiring you to do. That's why I married her. <laughs> Works. 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 At the expense of grace. Mm-hmm. At the expense of, of grace. Good stuff there. And that's kind of where we're going to look at tonight. And this, this idea of legalism, this system of rules and, and, uh, adding to scripture, uh, uh, and like really putting an emphasis on works in the exterior versus what takes place interior is what legalism is all about. And that type of religion or that type of relationship that is with the Lord, it's fueled by pride. It's fueled by pride because we are and can be very proud people. It's fueled by uh, our practices, our rituals, our traditions. And all of those things blind us to sin that's in our own life, especially the sin of pride. And it blinds us to the Savior who saves us from the sin that we're blinded to. So it really is a serious problem. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to read something in a great work by C.S. Lewis. The greatest uh, Christian philosopher of modern time, C.S. Lewis, said this in Mere Christianity. He said, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault, there is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, or no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And so scripture tells us, Again and again and again that God hates pride. So watch as we take a little journey beginning in Psalms 31. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful 
but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Abundantly repays. Then we'll look at Proverbs 16 and 18. Maybe you've heard this one before. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's keep on going to Isaiah 13. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Luke 14 and 11, as we jump into the New Testament, in the words of our Lord, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then finally, finishing up in James chapter 4 and verse 6, the half-brother of Jesus, James says, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we see scripture condemns pride. God condemns pride. He hates pride. It's one of the sins that he loathes. It is, as C.S. Lewis said, a very uh, anti-God state of mind because pride is in opposition to God. And pride, y'all know proud people, right? Y'all know the kind of people, like, how many of y'all go to Planet Fitness? Just me? How many of y'all go to the gym? And y'all, y'all seen the, y'all seen the guys that walk like this, huh? And now their arms are so big, they can't, they like this. And nobody smiles at the gym, Matt. Nobody, I tell Bonnie, nobody smiles at the gym. I'm like smiling my brains out. And they're like. <laughs> the look of pride, right? We see it in politicians. We see it in pastors. Ooh, that didn't sound fun. But we see pride. Pride is like a human vice. It's something that everyone has struggled with, unless you got really low self-esteem. You struggle with pride. And it lurks in some unsuspecting places, mostly like the church, mostly like religion. It's legalistic bondage that is fueled by pride. So what does the lure of legalism look like? And that's what happens as we get back into the urgency of the gospel in Mark chapter 7. So without further ado, if you will turn in your Bibles to the gospel of Mark, we will read our text. We're going to do verse 1 through verse 13. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is... Unwashed, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition and you have, that you have handed down, and many such things you do. What's going on right here? Well, for, first off, our first point tonight is we're going to say that Pharisaical worship honors God with the lips only to produce false worship. False worship. So here come the Pharisees and here come the scribes again, right? We've seen them. We've, we've, we've seen these encounters building with Jesus throughout our study of Mark thus far, right? They've been condemning him for... Uh, you know, your disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath. Who are you to heal on the Sabbath? And you, can for, you can't forgive sins. And, you know, they were just like, you're doing all of this by the power of Beelzebub. And we see these confrontations with these religious uh, zealous 21st century saints of the Jewish faith. Teachers of the law. And when they come, we know that they're coming and they're up to no good. They're up to destroying Jesus. That's their aim. He's done stepped into their territory and they're not too happy about it. And they're determined to take Jesus down. So whenever the Pharisees come, they're coming all the way. Here come the Pharisees uh, they, all the way from Jerusalem. That's like the Pope sending somebody from Rome. Right? They're coming from the center of their religion and they're coming to confront Jesus because they're determined that this man has to be stopped. You know, sometimes I think their, their mind was made up. Many probably have never had a conversation with Jesus like Nicodemus did. Nicodemus at least took the time to talk to Jesus. But they never even had, you know, we do that. We, we assume things about people without really knowing who they are or what they stand for or what they truly believe. Uh, we, we come up with and, and judge the character of a person before we even investigate. And that's what they did with Jesus. They just assumed things about him and they were looking for evidence that would confirm their beliefs. So that they're, they're on a fishing expedition. They, that's what they were always doing. They were looking for one little thing that they could find to trip him up. And so this time it was, what's wrong with your disciples? I can't believe they're eating without washing their hands. So they're trying to trip him up. And in, in a psychology, we call that confirmation bias. So it means we look, we, look at things, we look at things to confirm what we believe. 
We only see things that, we only see and notice things that confirm what we already believe. That's called bias. That's called bias. So it's guilt, and for them, Jesus is guilt by association. They're your disciples. Why are they eating with dirty hands? And so we'll look a little bit more into that. But that's that's the association. Here they come. Uh, verse two, we see they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. So you had to like really be paying attention to somebody. Right. You had to be like lurking behind the shadows to watch to see if they were going to properly clean their hands before eating. Because like, how do you like notice that? Right. So you see that they're really lurking. And in verse 5, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They're religious people and they're experts at this game. There are religious people all around us, just like this, that are experts at this game. So I would say about these legalists, People who put all of the attention on rules, added rules, their own rules, and on this concentration on the external rather than the internal, legalists love to compare themselves to others. That's why their rules exist. Their rules exist so that they can compare themselves to you and look good. So that's what they're all about. So they're looking to accuse him. We see that they're coming all the way from Jerusalem. They're looking for a reason to trip him up. And he says, what are they doing eating? Their hands are not washed. Now, we're not talking about hygiene. So if you're like a a hygiene freak, especially with COVID-19, you know, wash, do that often. Like, you know, wash your hands, wear your mask and all will be well in the world. Right. Cough in your hand, cough in your, however they do that, you know, cough here, you know, like sanitize, spray the doorknobs. So it's not talking about that. What we're talking about here is ceremonial washing. So it's not about hygiene, but it's about ritual purity. It's about a ritual that they go through to to. Uh, purify themselves before they eat. So it's a religious tradition that goes beyond Scripture and establishes some type of superiority. Evidently, I'm more holy than you because I have properly, ceremonially, cleaned my hands before I will pick up my food to eat. Okay? So, This is all about establishing superiority. We see in verse 3, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, so like if they come in from Walmart, uh, you know, what do they call it? Call the little one? It's called market, huh? Yeah, they call it market, huh? Yeah, neighborhood market. So when they come from neighborhood market, they do not eat unless they wash. Because there's dirty stuff in there, right? There's dirty people in there. 
The people of Walmart. I know y'all watch those videos. Don't, don't act like you're so holy. And you got to wash after that. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So they had all their, their little things that they would do. Because if they went to Walmart, they might have touched something unclean. They may have bumped into someone unclean. And, of course, you have to make sure you, your cup is properly cleansed and your plate is properly cleansed and your chairs and your sofas are properly cleansed. It's ritual. It's a tradition. And these rituals and traditions took over and enslaved rather than free. And that's what religion and legalism is all about. It's about enslaving us to make someone else look better. And that's what's going on here. It is when we, and we do it to ourselves. We self-impose these legalistic ideas on ourselves. And when we do that, we're putting ourselves into a self-imposed bondage. And it's an air of superiority. And an air of self-righteousness, right? Look at verse 5 again. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? They're superior. They're self-righteous. But yet, they're talking about the tradition of the elders. They are not able to offer one scripture to justify what they're saying. They don't say like, don't you know, don't you know what it says in, in Exodus chapter or numbers or, or in, uh, Leviticus? They don't, they don't quote scripture here, but they talk about the tradition of the elders. There's no scriptural justification. They're just saying that we are right. We are right. And you're not holding to our traditions. And you are wrong. And look, the ceremonial cleansing, you remember early on, Jesus' first miracle, right? And he had these, these, uh, these big jars that were used. There were six of them, right? And they were used for ceremonial cleansing. That's what, that was their purpose. It was a big thing to them. And those were the jars that Jesus filled uh, with, had filled with water and turned to wine at the wedding in Cana. So this was a big deal to them, this spiritual purification. And we've, we've covered this many times as we went through, that this topic of purification. And there's good intentions to it. There is a meaning to it. Just as we do uh, partake of the Lord's Supper and there's meaning to it. There's good intentions here. And the, the intention is that we're unclean before God. I, in my sin, am unclean before God. And when I come before Him, I need to be reminded through this, this cleansing that I need my insides cleansed. But they're off base at the source of impurity. And we'll see that 
Brother Matt's going to pick up in verse 14 next week and walk right through the rest of this, this whole encounter, which talks about those very things. Uh, this source of impurity. It doesn't come from outside. I'm not, I'm not made impure by bumping into a so-called dirty person, a heathen at Walmart. All right. That, like, if, if I bump into you, oh gosh, I just touched, I can't believe I just touched that sinner. Right? That's so self-righteous. Right? That's not the source of my impurity. The source of my impurity is sin within me. The flesh. The desires of the flesh. The innate sin nature. That's the source of impurity. And that's what they missed. They missed the source of it. It's not outside, but it's inside. It's not the hands, it's the heart. And you can only acknowledge that the only person that can see my heart and the only person that can see your heart is God. Because we look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. So legalism says, let's create a measure of purity. Because I can't see what's in the heart. So let's, let's create a measuring stick so I can measure what's in your heart. And then the whole, whole concept is taken from what God can see to what we can see. And that is the trap of legalism. When we begin to measure the purity of someone else by what we see. Who shines the brightest? Who dresses the best? Do you look like a Christian? You don't look like a Christian. You must not be a Christian. This is the trap of legalism. And it's easy to do. It's real easy to do that. And they they like majored in it. So the second point I'd say about legalists here are that legalists are hypocrites and their hearts are far from God. Far from God. We see in verse 6 here, And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That, you know, that's the only time in Mark that Jesus uses the word hypocrites. Y'all know where that word comes from? Greek word hypocrite? What is, what is it? An actor. Yeah. So somebody putting on a show. That's where the word comes from. A hypocrite would be to put on a mask and to be an actor. To put on, to put on a, a, a theatrical production. And Jesus says, you're hypocrites. He, Jesus is confrontational. <laughs> well, you think John the Baptist is confrontational. Jesus could be pretty confrontational. He called a spade a spade. And he called a hypocrite a hypocrite. And he does it right here. He could have debated them. Wait, 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 let's, let's. He could, he could debate like I'm, debo- I'm doing right now. Like, I could have debated with them. Like, what is wrong with you, Pharisees? 
You're looking on the outward. But God looks at it like he could have. Jesus could have done everything that I've been doing. But he doesn't even go there. He doesn't debate or anything like that. He doesn't do any of those things. What he does is he exposes true spiritual authority. He says, which one is more important, tradition or scripture? Your traditions, the traditions of the elders are scripture. So we see in Isaiah 29 and 13, I want to look because this is what he quotes. I want to read it in Isaiah 29. The Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. A commandment taught by men. Hypocrisy. It's What we see here is vain, purposeless worship. Made up rules. And made up rules causes us to abandon scripture and adopt instead the traditions of man that we come up with ourselves. And when we do that, tradition wins out every time. Tradition becomes more important than even the Word of God. Well, why he moved the service time? I can't believe y'all taking the kids. Y'all going to make the kids stay in for worship. I can't believe we're going to do that. We never did that before. That's not the tradition around here. Uh, should we wear a suit? Can you wear shorts? Do we need a choir? No choir? Altar call? Should we have an offering once a month, twice a month, three times a month, four times a month? Communion in a little disposable cup. A lot of people get like little things like that. They get bent out of shape. I speak the truth to you. What we need to ask ourselves, is there a scriptural basis for what I believe? And is there a scriptural basis for what I require of others? Because if it isn't, then it's a tradition and a man-made commandment. So Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and he says to us, are you going to be text-driven, scripture-driven, Bible-centered and driven, or are you going to be tradition-driven? Right? Well, let's look at our second point. And it's this. Pharisaical theology makes void the Word of God producing spiritual disobedience. So we look at our second half of this text, beginning in verse 9. And he said to them, I love the language here. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Don't you like it? You have a fine way. I love, just love it. For Moses said, so here comes Jesus is coming with scripture. He's not saying, why do you like dishonor and not keep the traditions of the elders? He's coming with Moses. You're the keepers of the law. You're the teachers of the law. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now, why do you even bring that up? I'm sure that there was some in, in 
he knows all things. And I'm sure there was somewhere, someone or more than one in that crowd that was doing just what he's about to deal with. So he's pointing out hypocrisy. And he says, what does Moses say? Honor your father and your mother and whoever revolves father or mother must surely die. That's God's commandment. Wow. But you say, Moses says, but you say. If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So is it scripture or is it tradition? Now I say this. Not all tradition is bad. In fact, I would think tradition is important. There's some traditional things that are really genuine and deep and God-honoring. But does our tradition override Scripture? And that's what Jesus is getting at here. There's some, some traditions like uh, in, in our faith that are perfectly fine. They don't, they don't really negate God's word. But what they were doing is they were negating scripture with their tradition. So Jesus gives a great example of it here. Maybe it's hard to understand, but we'll get to that in a second. So if I take the Bible and I add something to it, like you have to clean your hands in a certain way before you eat your oatmeal. And... You have to clean this pot in a certain way. You have to go 12 times this way, 12 times this way, 7 times. This is the way I stir my coffee, y'all, so I'm weird. 7 times this way, 3 times this way, and 1 time this way, and then that coffee is ready to drink. It is sanctified in the name of Jesus. Now, if I do that, it's just silly, right? And... But they were they were trying to judge Jesus' disciples based on the way that they clean their hands. So if I take the Bible and I add something else to it, I heard I heard one time it's a Bible plus religion. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a billy goat religion. You know what a billy goat religion is? But 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 but. You got to have faith, but, 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 but you got to be circumcised. You got to have faith, but, 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 but you got to give 10% of your gross, not your net. See, that's, that's Bible plus. That's Billy Goat. That's Billy Goat religion. When you add to the Bible, you nullify the power of God's word in your life. And Jesus exposes a sinful heart of man right here. So the first point I would say about the theology making void the word of God and producing spiritual disobedience is this. Legalists reject the word of God and they establish their own commandments. So in verse 9, we see he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in, a, in order to establish your tradition. So, they are establishing it by billy goat doctrine. And when 
they establish their own traditions, they actually reject God's commandments. They displace God's commandments. They set aside God's commandments. They set aside the revealed word for man-made fabrications. And that is insane. That is insane, but that is religion. That is religion. Warren Wiersbe said this, I think. We must constantly be aware lest tradition take the place of truth. It does us good to examine our church traditions in the light of God's word and to be courageous enough to make changes. I think that's pretty powerful. The Bible is the only reliable, trustworthy source of authority. It's infallible. And it's the only source of truth that we need and that we have. Legalists teach man-made rules. You have to clean those hands a certain way. And they forget God's commandments. They reject God's commands. And they make void the Word of God. So, second thing I would say is this, that legalists manipulate God's Word to their own advantage. And that's the second part of this verse that maybe was a little hard for you to to grasp. But let's look at it again and then I'll see if I can explain it. Beginning in verse 10. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So Jesus goes to Scripture. He goes straight to Scripture, and he starts with the fifth commandment in Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother. The fifth of the Ten Commandments. It's the only one that has a promise attached to it. He said, Honor mom and dad that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God, or that the land... Let me start over. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So, honor your father and mother and you're going to live a nice long life. It's a promise. It's a promise of God. And all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. I can shout to that. Fifth commandment. Everybody should honor their father and mother. Not talking about just little children. Right? We're talking about right now, my wife's honoring her father. She has to get up at 6 o'clock every morning and go give him an insulin shot. That's that's hard, but she does it because she loves him and because she's honoring uh, God by honoring her father. And she's also like guaranteeing that I can live a little longer with her into an old age. So we we honor Matt's honoring his father, sitting here at the table with him. What a blessing that is. Honor your father and your mother. That's unconditional. Well, well, you don't know my mom and dad. You don't know what they did to me. 
Just honor him. Honor him. And then he goes to another scripture in Exodus 21 and 17. This one's a little bit more like a hammer because the word of God is like a hammer, right? He says, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Aren't y'all thankful that Jesus like nailed the law to the cross, putting it out of the way, and we're no longer under that Old Testament dispensation? Because to curse your father or your mother is punishable by death. That's the death penalty, right? Whoo! Man, I would have been smoked at a very young age. So Jesus like lays Moses on him from the very outset. And there's a principle here. The principle of Scripture is that we are called to honor and to respect our parents. That's the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment has a principle, a spiritual principle that states you are to honor and respect and love your parents. But guess what? The Pharisees and their traditions found a loophole. They found a loophole and they made their own little plan to because they twist God's word and come up with their own traditions to negate God's word for their own advantage. So what happens here? Corbin, a gift dedicated to God. So they were neglecting the fifth commandment They were breaking the fifth commandment because, hey, the money that I should give to support my parents, after all, I've dedicated that to God. I can't take care of my parents because that money has been dedicated to God. And they would tell you, you need to pay your tithes. Oh, yeah, but I... The money I, I need, the money I have, I've, I've got to take care of my parents. Yeah, but that money's dedicated to God. And so that, that's what Corbin is. It's something meant or given to God. So I brought this big old book because it helps me maybe to explain it. So I'm reading from a, a Bible commentary. And so maybe this will help y'all. Uh, I'll just read this little short paragraph. On verse 10 through 13, these verses present an example of how their tradition nullified the law. The precept, honor thy father and thy mother, which included by honoring with financial support, is among the Ten Commandments. See, we got it all mixed up. Like, we think our parents, like, grow old and then they, like, honor us with their, with their inheritance. That would be great, but... We're to honor them by making sure their financial needs are met as well. Then, you know, we wouldn't need as much Social Security. It became customary for supposedly pious Jews to claim that their funds were already designated as a gift to God. So I can't take care of my parents because that money is designated to God. And when they were... so when they were confronted with their parents' need. More than that, a Pharisee could could impose a certain amount upon a layman if he replied, but I am obligated to help my mother and father. He could insist, you are freed from this commandment because that money 
is korban, or literally a gift for God. It is appointed a God-appointed gift for His service. So you see, what they were coming up, their little plans were nullifying one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus called them on that hypocrisy, didn't He? And He said, you make the Word of God void. Now, the Word of God is never void, but for them, it became powerless. It became empty. It became meaningless. Isn't it something that they were saying they could serve God by disobeying God? I'm serving God by disobeying God. And when you really break it down, that's the logic. That's the logic. They set up their own rules. And when we do that, we open the door for for those of us 50 plus scissor and tape religion. Just cut out and tape in what you want. And for you that are under 50, cut and paste religion. So tradition substitute God becomes a substitute for God's word and ultimately self becomes a substitute for God. And that, brothers and sisters, is idolatry. That's the heart of idolatry. Amen? Pastor Matt's going to pick up where I left off because Jesus just like keeps on laying it on to these Pharisees. In the second part of this discourse, he calls the people to join the conversation and then he really, really nails the point home. Amen? Anybody have anything they want to share before we close? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, God, to be discerning of what traditions are really rich and uh, really important to our culture and to our our worship and church experience, but help us to also discern when traditions go too far and they become legalism and they become the commandments of men rather than the precepts of our holy God. Help us to be discerning, God. Help us to not ever place a yoke of bondage of legalism upon your people and upon ourselves. God, give us discernment I thank you that you freed us from the law of sin and death and you set us free by the gift of grace. I thank you that we can say it's not of works, but by your grace that we have been saved. Help us to shine for you throughout the rest of this week. Uh, Help us to be ambassadors out there where you have placed us. In Jesus' name. Amen.